Welcome to Worse Than the Board, the Star Trek podcast where each week we unpack episodes of Star Trek with fans new, old, or in this case, not at all. We also showcase and raise funds for causes near and dear to us in the name of solidarity, reconciliation, and justice. I am your captain, Shane Holland, and this week I'm joined by two of my favorite co-hosts, Lieutenants Steph and CJ. Welcome back. Glad to be back. Oh, great. Great to have you. We are here to talk about the first season of Star Trek Lower Decks, and I am super excited to welcome aboard this week's special guest, returning ambassador, Dio. Hi. Welcome back to the show. Collectively, we are worse than the board. Now prepare to be assimilated into our collective. But first, Steph, do you want to lead us off with our commitment to reconciliation? Yes, please. This mission log was recorded on Treaty 13 land, and the participants are committed to reconciliation here on Earth. We believe the United Federation of Planets would fully support the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. All tuned-in Terrans are encouraged to participate in the direct action discussed later in this log. Back to you, Shane. Thank you so much, Steph. So, Dio, we know that you've only seen three examples of Star Trek. This episode, the last episode where you joined us, and Star Trek 2009. Uh, so I guess my question to you is uh, Star Trek 2009, love it or hate it? I loved it. I thought it was really fun. I don't know. I don't know how to if that's an okay thing to say, I don't know. Yeah. Star Trek people liked it, but I enjoyed it. I think I saw the sequel too. Oh, so oh, okay. Maybe four instances of Star Trek. <laughs> Ooh, exciting! The plot thickens. Uh, I'm, I'm on the fence about the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. I think they're really fun to watch. I think they're really poppy. Uh, as someone who is a big fan of Star Trek in general, they're a little blasphemous in that they are so poppy and they don't really discuss any of the issues that we tend to talk about here on this show. Uh, but there is a place for fun in the Star Trek universe, which is also why we're talking about Lower Decks. I mean, I think this is a very fun example of what Star Trek can do. And I think that uh, Star Trek and Star Trek Beyond, great examples of like how fun Star Trek can be. Uh, we don't talk about Into Darkness, though. That was a terrible time. Uh, and I kind of want to know, CJ, Steph, uh, what has been your favorite episode of Lower Decks this season? Let's start with you, CJ. I think my favorite was episode nine. Um, just speaking of Star Trek movies, the one that referenced all of the you know, cinematic tropes and things that it changes about the rules um, and just having fun with it. I got a kick out of that one. Uh, me too. I I am in agreement agreement with you. That is my favorite episode for sure. Uh, it just reminds me so much of being ten years old and seeing generations on the big screen. Love it, uh, Steph. How about you? Did did you find any particular episode of this season better than the rest? This one. Hey, great. <laughs> I really like this one because it wasn't trying to be that funny. Ooh. Yeah, like I think that the comedy aspect of this series, it's just not comedy that I find that funny. It's just not my cup of tea. And so like the fact that this one was just like 
it felt more like TNG. And I guess because there are so many references to it, even though I know they've been they've been here all along. I really, really like this episode. And and my partner watched this one with me too. And they were like, Yeah, this episode was banging, like <laughs> happening. Like it was great. <laughs> So true. The stakes were really high in this episode in a season where the like this action has been taking place in the background and we're just focused on kind of the day-to-day minutiae. This is like they were really thrust into it, but we will talk about it. We are not even there yet. So after our episode discussion, be sure to help support us with this week's direct action. And if you are liking this podcast, please remember to tell your Trekkie friends about us. It would do us a big favor. And, you know, while you're at it, like and subscribe and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or something, you know, if you have the time. Let's take a very short break and we'll be right back with our breakdown of the last episode of Lower Decks. Welcome back. This week we're discussing Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 10, the finale, No Small Parts. This episode was directed by Barry J. Kelly and written by Mike McMahon, the series creator. CJ, do you want to tell us what happened in this episode? I sure will. And be warned, from this point forward, this episode will contain major spoilers. The Cerritos has just completed a mission on Beta 3 and is ready to leave orbit, but two of its crew are still on the surface. Mariner and Boimler are secretly handing out extra supplies to the locals. While on an open hailing frequency, Boimler reveals to Mariner, and inadvertently the rest of the crew, that he knows she is secretly Captain Freeman's daughter. Tindy is tasked with orienting a new crew member, an exocomp named Peanut Hamper, who proves invaluable in the sickbay. Mariner finds herself receiving special treatment from her commanding officers and begins looking for a transfer by becoming the best officer she can be. The Cerritos receives a distressed call from the USS Solvong, which has just been destroyed by an attack from a Paclid ship. Formerly thought of as a bumbling species, they have become a major threat in the years since being ignored by Starfleet. As soon as they arrive, the Cerritos starts getting carved up by the Packlet ship, Freeman is seriously injured, and the Cerritos is left floating adrift. Mariner uses her wits and knack for rule-breaking to come up with an escape plan. Rutherford uses Badgie to create a virus which will disable the Packlet ship. They ask Peanut Hamper to deliver the virus as it is best suited to the task, but the Exocomp promptly quits and floats away in space. Lieutenant Shax takes a shuttle and escorts Rutherford, who has uploaded Badgie into his cybernetic implants, to the Packlet ship. There, Badgie uploads the virus, which also engages the enemy's self-destruct sequence. Shax sacrifices himself by ripping out Rutherford's implants and sending the unconscious ensign back to the shuttle. Just as more Packlet ships arrive, the USS Titan, captained by Will Riker, warps in to save the day. The crew mourns the loss of Lieutenant Shax, and Mariner and Freeman make peace and decide to work together. Meanwhile, Rutherford recovers, though he has lost all memory of his time on board the Cerritos. Tindy is excited to become friends all over again, 
and Boimler accepts promotion, promotion to lieutenant junior grade on board the Titan. Thank you so much, CJ. That was a wordy one because this is the last episode of the season. There was a lot of ground to cover. So yeah, great job. Uh, wow, what a finale. Like you said, Steph, really, really heavy stuff. Very serious. Not as many laughs this time around. Dio, I'm going to go to you. What did you think of this big finish? Well, it was kind of crazy to go into the big finish only having watched one other episode of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought it was exciting. I I thought that, like, I it gave me good insight into, like, what the character relationships are despite not really knowing anything about the season. Um, I really like Shax's and I was literally writing out a note. Like, I love this guy. This is one of my favorite stereotypes. And then he exploded. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I also really related to the villains because they thought that every ship was the Enterprise. Which I also <laughs> so I thought it was fun. I, I mean, I know it wasn't supposed to be fun apparently because it was really heavy, but I thought it was still like, exciting despite not having the background that's kind of great to hear i think that speaks to how well written this particular episode was that like you could kind of pick up on all of the character threads that we've been weaving throughout this entire season and then to to be able to enjoy it without understanding any of the context that 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 speaks highly of this episode to me as a, a fan uh steph uh, what did you think? We actually, you know, we kind of talked about this the last time uh, that the four of us were together uh, about uh, how the arc of this show has kind of led to this point. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess to keep it superficial right now, I was just happy for the reprisal of Badgie. Like, I'm really <laughs> happy to see Badgie be back because I really, I really... The paperclip is a real, like, seminal part of my word processing <laughs> coming of age. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just love that character. Uh, uh, but, you know, I felt like in the end when I just, when I heard Riker and then I heard Tro and the voices, I was just like, Yes, home. Mm. And the day, and it was just like so much action and everything coming together. It was it was awesome, but it it was sad to see that we lost a character, which up until this point, I don't think we we had, right? No, no, it uh, it's a first for this uh, series. I was gonna say it, it's a first for the series to actually happen. This came the episode after everyone was killed on the holodeck. You know, they faked out killing a bunch of the crew in episode nine. I think we're going to have to agree and to disagree on Badgie. Uh, that is my least favorite part of this series. Um, I think I think part of it is it's the character is too cartoony and breaks the world for me a little bit. And also, I love Jack McBriar. I kind of get tired of just casting him as someone evil because that's the joke is that his friendly voice is evil. Mm, fair criticism um, that said i like how they used him in this one it was very <laughs> keeping in character and definitely you know helped move things along uh explosively so sorry cj what else is he even in like as a uh jack mcbriar he was on 30 rock um as the page kevin and then kenneth. i think kenneth i'm sorry <laughs> apologies to kevin's and kenneth's everywhere <laughs> um and 
I, it may have just stuck out more to me because he was recently just did a cameo on last week tonight with John Oliver voicing like the next big pandemic that's going to kill everyone. <laughs> and so similar role. Yeah. And that's what he's got this very friendly, charming voice. And so putting that into an evil character, I think, I think the joke needs a little more than that to work in most cases. That's fair. Very fair. Very fair. I appreciate that criticism and that you came backed up with facts. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think this episode just makes a really great finale for a lot of the things that we just discussed. Um, it it's more serious in a show that doesn't take itself seriously. Uh, and it has real consequences for these characters going forward. Like, li like we said, there's a death. Uh, among the crew, uh, someone who, I mean, was obviously fun enough that someone who's only seen two episodes of the show also kind of mourns with us this loss. And I must say, Shax was a great part of this show, this kind of like gung-ho, Bajoran, kick-ass warrior who wants nothing more than to, what what do they say, scream in someone's face and eject a warp core? Just, yeah. <laughs> really fun stuff. Uh, a, a security officer who's let go of all you know, restraint. Uh, I also just uh, really enjoyed that they didn't keep the status quo for the characters that we're supposed to be focusing on, like Boimler getting transferred at the end of the episode. That's going to be major. And working on the Titan, which I don't know, Steph, I, about you, but I'm hoping that we get a lot more Will Riker in season two of Lower Decks. You know what I feel about that. <laughs> You know that I'm into that. Come on. <laughs> oh, yes, please. Give me more wood paneling and jazz sax. Trombone. Trombone. <laughs> we all need more trombone in our lives. I, I have to say, growing up as a kid who played the trombone in band, that was a highlight of my week, was seeing someone <laughs> I admired on TV. Yes, CJ. Playing the same instrument, much better than I ever learned to. <laughs> much better, that's uh, questionable, but yeah. <laughs> I, you have not heard my trombone playing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very fair, very fair. Let's talk a little bit about Mariner's character arc through all of this. Uh, the whole series starts with her kind of like shrugging off all responsibility. She doesn't care. Uh, she She's happy to be in the lower decks, uh, we talked about it last time, how sometimes, uh, you know, the, that lack of career advancement is looked down upon when actually maybe it's the right thing to do and the world doesn't function without people like uh, Mariner. Um, but this kind of takes a really hard turn for the character after a few weeks of building up this backstory that, you know, maybe there's something in her past that is preventing her from wanting to move forward. Uh, maybe there's something about her relationship with her mother. She really puts it all behind her and shows us uh, how capable she actually is. Let's talk. I kind of want to talk about that transformation that she has a little bit. Uh, CJ, what did you think about this? Uh, I thought it was a really good payoff to the character's arc over the season. You know, like you said, we keep seeing her holding herself back often uh, with no ambition. And I think this brought her to a place where she's progressing but in the direction she wants to not in the direction starfleet wants to you know she's not going into command she's still going to be there breaking the rules but with the tacit support of her captain because they both recognize 
that the other has valuable things to offer and by working together they can achieve more than by being against each other all the time i also thought it was a really powerful um depiction of the relationship between a mother and daughter in in particularly this scenario where they have to work together um but i am not one to speak to that subject at all um i don't know what did you all have thoughts and feelings about mariner and freeman finally getting along i mean we haven't actually seen them get along let's mm, say okay that. yep they agreed, they agreed that they would get along so we'll see if that actually pans out i suppose <laughs> but i mean i guess in a way it's good because it it means that we don't have to they don't have to continue with that that idea like and and sort of continue to keep that up if they don't want to in the next season but i also kind of felt like i was like oh okay so now they're gonna get along eh, okay <laughs> I was actually more excited about the tension of Boimler moving off ship and like uh, that, that relationship between the two of them. And now she's lost her, her best bud. So. Oh yeah. That was really sad. I, I really felt for Mariner and the fact that he left without a word. How rude. Very. Not a very good friend there in the end, Boimler. I guess he, he went that he did it knowing that she would take it bad no matter what but i don't know i i i found it hard to be on his side in that moment uh dio what did you think i don't know. i i had the same feeling about this guy last episode i don't like him i know that like it's a whole stereotype <laughs> of like he's really uptight he wants to do everything right and he'll just like knock down anyone to get ahead and hopefully they go somewhere without where like you know he learns his lesson <laughs> Um, because he also knew that she was trying for the same position like it's not a matter of how much she wanted it but like she wanted to move for that anonymity that he ruined for her like he ruined this environment for her and it took her Ooh, opportunity yeah. to leave it behind I was like this guy sucks like good riddance for him going to this other ship even like, taking the <laughs> opportunity from her because like I really like her I think she's ingenious I think it like takes this idea of like someone who can just cause all this trouble but like or like thinks in a very different way than I feel like they're portraying how you're supposed to act um I don't know I really like her and so I just I thought that he sucked <laughs> that is a great side to take in this battle <laughs> I think we are all stands of uh, Beckett Mariner here oh definitely like I I will not be too upset if Boimler's role is severely reduced in season two mm. I think like for some reason, and I, I don't have facts to back this one up, but I remember him being promoted as the lead ahead of the when this first came out on Paramount Plus, uh, CBS All Access back then, whatever their name was. <laughs> <laughs> that changes um, all the time. Who knows? But yeah, we, we, we should respect their name as Paramount Plus. Um, right. But but like like having him be kind of the the sell it with the straight white guy and then ship him off at the end of the season, so that much like Discovery. They don't have any of those on the crew anymore. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, that's not a terrible thing in my book. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, you know, he's got that up to, and he had his moments and everything, but of the four central characters, he was by far the least interesting, I thought. I would yeah. much rather spend time with Mariner, Tindy, and Rutherford. Oh, let's talk about Rutherford, who makes, I think, the biggest sacrifice of our main characters this season. How upsetting was that, that he lost all of his memories at the end of this episode? That's like the worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> that was really rough. I love that he stayed in character of 
being on board with like, okay, yay, I get to learn all this stuff again and be excited <laughs> about learning because that's Rutherford. And typical Tendi is like, oh, you've lost all your memories. I can't wait to do this all over again. <laughs> like just really fantastic. They don't really get much screen time uh, or she doesn't really get much screen time in this episode, but I feel like that made it all worthwhile for that moment at the end. Uh, we've talked a bunch about this episode already, and I know that we have a lot more notes. I know I do. So why don't we take a quick break? We'll be back with some What the Trek and our commitment to reconciliation. Every week, we pick a different organization that makes a positive impact in their community, and we make a donation to them as part of our commitment to reconciliation. Be sure to follow our Twitter account at WorseThanBorg for links to help support all of these fantastic organizations that we highlight. Steph, who are we focusing on today? This week, we would like to spotlight Rainbow Railroad. Yeah. Yeah. Its mission statement is since 2006, Rainbow Railroad has helped more than 800 persecuted LGBTQI people from 38 countries travel to safety. The donation link for Rainbow Railroad is www.rainbowrailroad.org forward slash donate. Uh, so we encourage all of our Terran listeners to engage with this cause and to donate if and what you can to help in the fight for peace, justice, and equity. I didn't include too much about Rainbow Railroad's mission statement in their mission statement because what they do is incredible and it's more than a mission statement can really put into words. Um, but they really reach out to communi communities around the world and uh, I mean they are like the lead people in relocating uh, people who face persecution just for being who they are. So really wonderful work that they're doing. They're based here in Toronto where I live uh, and they also have offices around the world, particularly in the States. Seek them out, make a donation. Uh, they're a great organization to align yourself with. Now, each week we ask our guest panelist, what the Trek, what DO to you as a non-fan or a non-viewer, I guess we'll say, made absolutely no sense, was morally questionable, or just downright confusing about this episode, this series, or even the whole damned franchise. Dio, what the Trek? Okay, so in this episode, the guy who looks like an animated Chris Pine, <laughs> um, I don't remember his name, but he mentioned something called First Contact Day and salmon. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what's that? <laughs> okay. Uh, so that was Commander Ransom, uh, the second in command of the ship. Uh, first Contact Day would be a reference to the day that Earth made first contact with an alien species. Uh, that would be uh, when the Vulcans landed on Earth in the mid 21st, late 21st century, about 60 years from now. Um, this is all documented in the great Star Trek film, Star Trek First Contact. Uh, and so we can assume that they celebrate First Contact Day as kind of a big deal across the Federation. Uh, and <laughs> Salmon, I can only assume because I think that movie takes place in, I want to say, Oregon or Colorado, somewhere where, uh, I, I don't know, somewhere where salmon would swim. Probably not Colorado. 
I, I'm going to go with Oregon. I think that would have stuck out if, if my yeah. home state was <laughs> right. in a Star Trek yeah. movie. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's the origin of First Contact Day Salmon. <laughs> oh, cool. I guess that also, one of my general questions about Star Trek is like, does it ever specify how far it is in the future or is it just general like space future? Uh, no, actually it's like pornographically accurate uh like laid laid out from series to series we know that the original series takes place in like 2367 it's supposed to be 400 years in the future from when that show was made um and then the next generation is supposed to take place i think 70 or 80 years after that uh and most of the rest of the series takes place within like 30 years from that point, um, except for Discovery, which jumps back and forth in time and is very confusing. Gotcha. Well, it's is cool it? to feel like dogs are still around. I, there was a get well balloon, so balloons are still thriving. Yeah, yeah, you know, we've managed to hold on some to some cultural touchstones in the next 400 years. <laughs> Did anyone else have any what the Trek moments from this whole series? Next on that though, like it's it's funny that they still use like Earth's relative time, considering that they basically are traveling around all the time and time changes depending on what speed you travel. All that stuff, you know, you know. Uh, yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. We've talked uh, we've talked about this before on this podcast. Like it's a little. Uh, Earth-centric to be basing your ship clock on like the 24-hour format and to say month, year, and day when that means nothing to an alien species. Uh, yeah, it's kind of racist, actually. <laughs> Thank you, Leo, for pointing that out. <laughs> this is why we're here. We're doing the good work that they won't do on the show. <laughs> Like, I just wanted to shout out. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, TJ. As a, I, I just wanted to shout out one of my favorite lines. Speaking of like the continuity in the timeline, when um, one of the crew refers to TOS, which <laughs> you know, like fans were used to refer to the original series, and it's like that. Yeah, that's what I call Kirk, Spock, all them those old scientists. TOS. <laughs> I love it. Such a stupid nerdy joke. Yeah. <laughs> um. I the whole we didn't even talk about the beginning of this episode where they land on planet beta 3 which is actually from the original series uh this whole landru computer that is telling them to like murder the outsiders uh you know this is an actual star trek plot that involved pitchforks and a western set on the paramount lot uh, great stuff. Really loved it. But it also goes back to what we were talking about a few episodes ago about how the Federation goes in and like, you know, ostensibly they came to save this civilization from destroying itself, but then they left and things went exactly back to how they were before uh, for like the next hundred years until a Federation ship decided to just drop in and see how things were going. Um, yeah, the Federation has some cleanup issues to look out for. They also have their own internal memory issues. Like the Packlets literally did the same thing they did in TNG. They did the exact same thing where they show up mm -hmm. and they're like, we want your ship. 
make us go. And they basically just came back again. And I've, in TNG, they were like, oh, these guys, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, they were a joke <laughs> of the week. Yeah. Such a joke. Oh, and then afterwards, they're like, oh, we learned our lesson. We, you know, and they finally mm. way out of there. Then clearly, no, not so much. It cost Shax his life. It was a, quite the mistake to make. Um, I, I, I'm just going to jump in while this thought is on my head, but this actually really ties in to kind of uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 3, um, all about how Starfleet has this lack of communication uh, within its own structure and how that really brings about its own destruction. Uh, Dio, you haven't seen Discovery, I'm assuming, but essentially they travel far into the future. They realize that a great like calamity has caused uh, Starfleet to splinter. They're no longer an organization of hundreds of thousands of planets. They're like down to 10 members or so. Um, and it's all because they couldn't keep up their communication commitment with their member states. Uh, so it's very interesting to see these parallels on the very serious discovery and the very lighthearted lower decks uh cj though i totally cut you off i'm sorry that's right like well you know, it, it it ties into that which would think freeman in this episode refers to it as starfleet's policy of some intervention mm. it sounds like an america exactly the problem they, they do just enough to make themselves think that they fix the problem when they really you know are letting things go back to normal or worse um yeah that's colonialism for you yeah I was gonna say. yeah yeah <laughs> a little bit <laughs> that's... yeah the parallels are definitely there <laughs> i wonder what they're trying to say <laughs> like and it it not only cost jacks his life this time but um it cost the entire crew that they rescued just a few episodes ago uh actually when this group was together to talk about it i can't believe we didn't even mention that that's so funny that uh captain dayton i think her name is is in both of these episodes and she kind of is hilariously in the same situation in both episodes with like massively different outcomes in the one it's played for laughs and she's you know screaming for her life like i don't want to die in space i don't want to die in space which you know in episode seven was kind of funny in episode 10 is dark as hell like she did die in space in probably the most frightening way possible very sad <laughs> yeah and once again the the crew of the cerritos just thinks that they're like oh she just made a mistake again we're gonna go clean up this no problem thing and are underestimating the gravity of the situation mm -hmm. yeah that's uh that's that's Starfleet brand colonialism. Very, very interesting. Uh, and I hope that this is the kind of subject that they discuss more in season two. Uh, do we have any hopes for season two? We only have a few minutes before we wrap up this episode. Uh, but Steph, what do you want to see happen? I want to see the exocomp float by. <laughs> yes, great. Good answer. CJ, how about you? Oh, it, like I said, I want to see uh, Freeman, Tendi, and Brotherford take center stage and build on those relationships more and maybe Boimler can show up every couple episodes. <laughs> Love it. That's twisted. It's perfect. Uh, and Dio, do you think you'll be watching a, any more of season one now that you've seen these two episodes? Yeah, probably. I feel like Ooh. give myself some background context, you know, this is a very fun light introduction to the Star Trek universe. And I'm hoping to get another person hooked for my, I don't know, own sick, twisted pleasure. Uh, and B, do you think you'll be tuning into season two then? 
if if I watch season one, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> why wouldn't you? <laughs> that would be a waste of your time. <laughs> I mean, I could always just do like I did here and jump in blind. Ah. <laughs> uh. I mean, if you do that, you are welcome back here on this show anytime. And you know what? That about wraps it up for this season of Worse Than the Borg. I nearly forgot what we're called there. Thank you so much for joining our collective, Dio. You have been an awesome guest and your knowledge and experience has been uploaded once again to the whole. You can follow us on Twitter at Worse Than Borg and at Worse Than The Borg on Instagram. You can email us at Worse Than The Borg at gmail.com. And please remember to subscribe and rate us five stars. As always, thank you so much to my fantastic co-hosts, Steph and CJ. Thank you as always. And an extra special thanks to our producers, Alex and Maddie. And thanks to you for listening. We have been worse than the Borg. You have been assimilated into our collective. Yeah. Woo. <laughs>Worse Than the Borg is recorded in Toronto, through traditional territory of many nations including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. Worse Than the Borg is produced by Alex Harvey and Matthew O'Donnell. Executive producers Shane Holland, Ron Sly, and Ravi Joshi. Star Trek is owned and produced by Viacom CBS. Worse Than the Borg is in no way affiliated with Star Trek, but is inspired by its message of hope, spirit of human achievement, and acceptance. Computer and transmission.